the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Good to be back with you all this morning, and I promise, just because I didn't get an opportunity to preach last Sunday, I will not preach both sermons this morning. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Last week we read about how David fell into the same trap powerful people always find themselves in. The ability to take what their heart wants, the covetousness of their life, and do it because they have the power to do it. In the intervening verses, we find that Joab follows David's orders. Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, finds himself at the deepest, most dangerous part of the battle and is killed. Joab and David, the Bible tells us, send secret messages to each other through their messengers to let him know that it's done. And then we come to our verses this morning. When the wife of Uriah heard her husband was dead, she made lamentations for him. When the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. God then instructs the prophet Nathan to speak with David in his role as a judge. Now today we've separated the executive powers and the judicial powers of leadership, right? We have a president that does one thing, we have a Supreme Court that does something else. In David's day, the king was not only the ruler, the head of the army, he was also a one-person Supreme Court. Nathan comes to him with a terrible story. There was a rich man with a large herd, and he had a guest come. And rather than kill one of his own sheep, he went to his neighbor, who had one little lamb, and the lamb was like a member of the family. And the rich man took that lamb and killed it and fed him and his visitor with it and didn't give any recompense. And there's been no judgment. And David, having been a shepherd as a young man, identifies with the poor man, and he gets angry. And he says to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. He shall restore the lamb fourfold because of this thing, because he had no pity. Nathan's response, of course, was, You are that man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king. I rescued you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house, your master's wives, and gave you the houses of Israel and Judah. And if that was too little, I would have added so much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? God then goes on to tell David what the consequences of his action are going to be. Normally when we see this phrase, they had done evil in God's sight, it's the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, and usually it has to do with idolatry. Usually it has to do with things like, and this king reigned, and it was pretty good, but he displeased the Lord because he let the Baal keep being worshipped in Israel at that time. And instead this morning, what was it that angered God about what David did? Here God is telling David it's his abuse of power to cover up his sin that's evil in God's sight. Remember a few weeks ago, When David was told, we want you to be our king, we want you to be a shepherd over us. And here is David, that that shepherd. And what does he do with his sheep? He abuses one and then kills its mate when he's caught in that sin. David knows that's not what a shepherd's supposed to do. 
Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness. In your great compassion, blot out my offenses. Our psalm this morning is one that David writes in his repentance over what he had done. Think for a moment about how Saul reacted when he was called on his sin. What did Saul do? Generally speaking, he shrugged his shoulders and went into battle. David writes a lament. This is one of the most famous of the penitential psalms. Create me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Give me the joy of your saving help again and sustain me with your bountiful spirit. Let's read a little further in the psalm, to the portion we did not read this morning. Restore to me the gladness of your salvation. Uphold me with the willing spirit. I will teach the wicked your ways, that sinners may return to you. Rescue me from violent bloodshed, God. My saving God and my tongue will sing joyfully of your justice. Lord, you will open my lips, and my mouth will proclaim your praise. If you do not desire a sacrifice, or I would give it, a burnt offering you would not accept. My sacrifice, O God, is a contrite spirit and a contrite and humble heart. O God, that you will not scorn. David's praying that the consequences will be removed from the sin he's just got. But then he goes a little bit further. He's not just upset that he's been caught in his sin. We all get that way. How often do you hear the phrase, he's not angry because he's not upset because of what he did. He's upset because he got caught. David here wants a change. He wants to be holy. That's why he's a man after God's own heart. I, therefore, the prisoner and the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Last week we heard Paul remind his readers of the great love that had been shown in Christ. This week he reminds them they also must live into that love with humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Why? Because we're one body and one Spirit, just as you're called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in all. Paul's reminding the Ephesians that we're all part of the same family, the same church, We're all on the same road together. We've been given that grace by God to live a holy and changed life. And the gifts that God has promised are those that can help equip us, mature us, so that we can be built into that perfect body of Christ. We're no longer driven along by the winds of the things we hear, by the world and its divisions. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up into him who is the head, into Christ, in whom the whole body, joined and knitted together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth and building itself up in love. We're all growing together into the body of Christ, with him as our head. We get to our gospel this morning. Last week we get to one of those famous stories from the New Testament. Jesus fed the 5,000. It's one of the great miracles of the Bible But it's one of the miracles that we often underestimate the importance of. We're lucky. We have refrigeration. We have canning. We have modern technology. If I needed to feed 5,000 people an hour, I'd send Boris down to Radner's or Giant or Wegman, and we could just buy the food we needed. Back then, if you looked around a crowd of more than 5,000 people, and there were 12 loaves, 
and a half a dozen fish, what would you think? Food's not going to pop up out of the ground. But after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus and the disciples do what they often do. They jump in their boat and go across the lake so they can get some peace and quiet and they can pray. Once the crowd realized what happened, they start crossing the lake to look for him again. Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. One of the first lessons they teach you in youth ministry, if you want a crowd of teenagers, all you have to do is one thing. Feed them. Free pizza does wonders in getting teenagers to attend. And Jesus had fed the crowd. But that's not why he came. He didn't come simply to fulfill the physical needs of the people. He came to fill that spiritual hunger that was deep inside them. They want manna from heaven like Moses gave them. Sustained their fathers in the desert for 40 years. But Jesus, Jesus promises them that the bread of God that's given down from heaven gives life to the world. And they say, of course, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus, of course, replies, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now I know many of you have already mentally jumped ahead in the story to the words we say each week, where Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This is the cup of the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the works of God until he come. Jesus says this to the crowd about a year into his ministry. He still has two more years before we get to the night in the upper room. I want to quote Bishop Frank Logue for a moment. Because I think it's a powerful, powerful thing he says. He says about this passage, Jesus' self-giving act in communion is not only concerned with the Last Supper, the cross and the empty tomb alone. Jesus' whole life, rather than one or two events, will institute the sacrament of communion. Put differently, faith is not in Jesus' death and resurrection alone, but in Jesus' whole life, from Bethlehem to Golgotha, and beyond to an empty tomb in a garden. Jesus' appearance to his disciples and his ascension in heaven. Now we have to look at the whole of Jesus' life to understand him and why he came. We can't cherry-pick the portions we like, and step over the points, parts we don't. We have to allow our whole life to mirror his. We cannot just hear the word. We have to hear it and then go out and live it. The good shepherd is in this passage taking care of his sheep. Jesus wanted those who'd already been filled with fish and bread to know that they could be spiritually full as they had been physically full just the day before. Part of that today is us is through the Eucharist, through communion. The other part is through prayer, Bible study, and sharing God's love with others. May we all continue to grow into the body of Christ we are called to be. 
Amen.